Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm Mark Schwarzer and today I'm joined as always by Phil Kittramelides and by Michael Bridges. And Bridgie, do you actually think that Gary Neville actually listens to this very podcast? Because I think he's copying you. Have a listen to this. When Pep Guardiola decides a time is enough at Manchester City, Postacoglu will be the Manchester City manager. There you go. But for Ange Postacoglu, the way in which they're playing and the football that they're playing, he's putting, you know, Spurs fans won't like this, but, you know, he is amazing. And if you're Manchester City losing Pep Guardiola in a year or two, you'd be looking at Ange Postacoglu now thinking, wow, that's exactly what we want to see. He is definitely... He's definitely an avid listener, Swartz. There's no doubt about it. I've, I co-commentated him with him this year, and he actually mentioned the podcast at Up the Sports. So I, you know, obviously passed on the knowledge he's been listening, and he obviously follows the pundit's footsteps. And he's decided to take my my memoirs from a few weeks ago. You mean he actually mentioned it, or did you bring it up and then he talked about yeah. it? I uh, definitely brought it up and he talked about it and he said, I'll follow the link onto that one soon, Bridgie, don't worry. <laughs> but it's good to know that somebody has taken an interest in what I'm saying, Swartzy. I mentioned it three weeks prior about Ange Postacoglu would have definitely caught the eyes of Manchester City because he's part of the City group. And um, obviously Gary Neville has come out with them quotes as well and it's, it's getting traction. So anybody that's getting Ange linked with Manchester City is tremendously delighted, but I'm gutted being a Spurs man. Bridgie, is it... Was that just your opinion or had somebody said something and your sources and you might have heard something? Oh, look at you trying to dig into my contacts over here in the UK. No, that's just me filling together the jigsaw, Phil. I've told you a few times in the past that uh, these nostrils, nostril dormus, comes out with some extreme comments. Some of them come off and some of them don't. So um, we'll see what happens in the future. But yeah, I just think he's, he's a top class coach. We all know that. He's shown that now. He's pedigree. And uh, no doubt about it, they will be looking. So for Gary Neville to say it, it's obviously getting a lot of traction over here in the UK. And um, I'm, I'm sure Ange will be thrilled about it, but he always likes to finish his projects. And his project is Spurs. I'm surprised, right, that Gary Neville wouldn't be saying Manchester United should be trying to get him. If they wanted to make a change, that's the person they should be heading for because he plays the attracting sort of football that Manchester United also um, have had in the past, right? I know, I know he fits the, I know he fits the city group. He fits that Manchester yep. City thing, right? I, I totally understand that. That makes hundred percent sense. What I'm saying is, if I were Man United, I'd be going, hang on a second, I want to play a bit like that, and I want to have a bit of bit of Ange Postecoglou. But I think his point was that the succession after Guardiola, he would be the best person to take over and keep going what Guardiola has has put in place. Not necessarily, you know, who's who would I like to see? Who's the coach yeah. that I would like to see? Obviously, I think he likes him as a coach, but he also thinks like that would be strategically a wise wise appointment. Yeah. And sadly, tragically, unfortunately, it's hard to disagree. In Manchester United, Gary Neville's no, you know, he's a smart, smart man. Is Gary Neville? He knows that Ange only Ange Postecoglou only takes big clubs for his job, so that's why he counted out Man. Manchester United and he went for Man City. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's done his homework, has Gary. Well, ouch. I'll just leave that one as it is there, Bridgie. Uh, let, when we talk about big clubs in terms of Tottenham and Ange Postecoglou, they're away at Nottingham Forest this weekend and they continue their little revival off the back of the Newcastle win. Sorry, Bridgie had to bring that up. Um, but, you know, they were pretty much in cruise control, Bridgie, against Spurs. Yeah, I thought it was a professional performance and it's something that they needed. They, they controlled the game, numerous chances, and they converted them. That was the, that was the main thing. And I went, when I look at the way Spurs are playing at this moment in time, the, the standout performer for me when, you know, you can talk about players and things that are going on is Pedro Porro. He's been absolutely outstanding. The stats are through the roof and the way that he, has transformed his stats and his game under Ange Postecoglou just shows that when you've got a, a player that has pedigree, that Ange works with that smart and gives him a new dynamic and a new lease of life, they, they actually celebrate together in the game before um, from one of the passes that 
uh, Porro played on a diagonal ball in towards the striker in the I can't think who it was against now, but it was the previous match, not the Forest game. But he, the the you can just tell the players are loving playing under Ange Postecoglou, and this game yet again just controlled, did the job, and nice to see Richarlison get back on the score sheet after he, you know, he's had a really really tough time, and he was saying that in the past when he's been having shots or doing things, he's felt like twinges since the operation. He's come back, his mental health seems to be on board. And again, another player that's looking very good and is going to flourish under Ange. And also, he's playing in the position I think he wants to play in, isn't he? Um, yeah. Richarlison, because previously, uh, before their injuries, he was sort of shifted out to the left wing, son through uh, the middle, and it wasn't necessarily working for, for Richarlison. Obviously, all the other stuff as well in terms of uh, confidence, in terms of getting his head right, in terms of physically being in, in pain, that also affects. But actually, the fact that he's where he wants to be on the pitch, I think, is helping uh, a lot. Agree with what you said about Pedro Porro as well, uh, and massive credit to Ange for for seeing that this player has the capabilities, has the um, has what I need from him to play in this position. Because previously you thought Pedro Porro sort of sort of flying wing back, physical, get down to the byline, stick a ball in, and that's not what he's doing now yeah. at all. He's coming inside so much and and combining with the with the interior play. And um, we're seeing Udoji getting forward um, in really advanced positions, interior positions as well. So both both fullbacks have been really impressive and really important for Spurs. And yeah, it was a professional professional performance against um, against Forest. Uh, to slight dampener, I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my negative um, fan coming through. I'm a little bit worried about Basuma in terms of he's giving the ball away quite a lot and we've seen him give the ball away a bit for um, for goals in recent weeks. But uh, apart from that, I think the, the team have bounced back really well from the uh, the mini blip. And it wasn't really mini, was it? It was a really huge blip. Uh, yeah. But yeah, two wins now. And um, they're still in it. They're still in it in terms of the title. They're still there. Six points off the top. No European football. Allow me to get carried away once again after two back-to-back weeks. Yes, yeah, Phil, you know, go on. Keep talking yeah. up, Phil. Yes, yeah. here we go. <laughs> it's doable. It's doable. I mean, you touched there, Basuma, and, and the uh, discipline record at the moment for Spurs. They've mm. had four players yeah. sent off. Um, yeah. Basuma, I mean, it was a horrible, horrible challenge, wasn't it, Bridgie? Yeah, yeah, it was. I can't condone it. I'll tell you, they should have had another one this season as well because I think Romero was very, very lucky in the last game as well. There was a challenge oh. that he he made, um, which at was, four one up. At yeah, four one I know up, it was completely it's, crazy. It's yeah. almost like that when you <laughs> obviously his eyes seem to light up when he sees the ball go to a fifty fifty or a sixty forty against him. He sees it as a massive challenge how he can win this and take the player out as well, which is not a good thing. Um, I just think he gets carried away. That's probably going to be Ange's biggest challenge this season. I would say he's had the the injury side of it. Uh, the Chelsea game was a nightmare. Handling the injuries, Madison's been a big loss, but the the discipline record, just to say to these players, listen, especially with Mayo, because you, you cannot afford um, to take this. But the again, a red card and a challenge that I'm pleased was was seen, Swarty, um, and, and was dealt with. Problem is with Romero, you can't sort of like tell him... Can you tell him, don't be that physical? That's like kind of intrinsic to his game. Like You guys have obviously played the game, you've coached. Like When you've got a player who is like that, it's so part of his game. How do you tell them? How do you get them? Just tone it down a bit. But that, that's not even the physical element of it. That's just, that's just like a, a red mist coming down. It's not even a hmm. – it, it's just a stupidity. It's a bad part of their game. That I mean, Romero, we've seen it time and time again. We saw it last season. Now we've seen it a couple of times this season already – that is just a really bad side of their game that they certainly do need to try and try and control more because it's going to cost Spurs. It's going to cost them dearly this season if they continue. Sports, if you about the clubs you've played for, do you ever have any players like that that you kind of what Phil was just saying? That if you try and contain their mentality and their tackling because they're such a loose cannon, you lose it. Who who was the who was the red card um, or the red miss players that you played with? I've had a couple of plays. I mean, you know one of them reasonably well as well. Danny Mills was a nightmare as well. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. On Jeez. the football pitch, he would just fly off the handle for no yeah. apparent reason whatsoever. Yeah. And actually, half the time, I think it was his way of getting even, not motivated, but up for it and gives him an extra boost every time he played. Uh, another guy called Emmanuel Pogatetz, Austrian defender we had. He was an absolute nutcase on the football pitch. <laughs> Lovely guy off the pitch. But on the football pitch, he just wanted to fight and kill everyone. It was mad. Honestly, it was absolutely mad. Uh, on to bad-tempered, dramatic, controversy. Two red cards, 10 yellows, and both managers cautioned. 
No, I'm not talking about Liverpool against Manchester United because that was dire. <laughs> uh, Brentford against Aston Villa. What a game. I mean, 2-1 in the end to Villa against Brentford. It had absolutely everything, didn't it, didn't it Phil? It had absolutely everything after about the sort of 70th minute, yeah, after after Ben Mees uh, said dig off, because before that, actually, Brentford were kind of in control, certainly felt like they were in control. Aston Villa looked a little bit tired. They looked like they might have been playing in Poland on, on Thursday night, and um, it was not a game. And they've been, you know, poor away from home as well this season. We've mentioned it before. I mentioned it on the, on the pod a couple of weeks ago. If they're going to push for the title, they need to improve on their, uh, their away form, and it looked like they were going to slump to another defeat. And then that... That uh, red card changes the game completely. Um, I like the way that Aston Villa kind of kept their cool. They didn't go crazy and think, right, we've got a man extra. Let's push, let's push. It, it felt like it was um, quite a controlled way that they got back into the game. If you see the first goal, it's from what they call in, in, in Spanish. It's, it's really good sort of positional play. They line it up very well. And then the ball to the back post, uh, Alex Moreno, is a, it's a really, really good uh, working uh, of an opening. And then Ollie Watkins scoring the uh, scoring the winner and, and and celebrating, just adding to the adding to the drama. To be fair, Ollie Watkins scoring against his former club and then celebrating. What he was doing afterwards, apparently, he was pointing to someone in the crowd, a couple of people in the crowd who had been giving him loads of stick and apparently saying stuff about his family and really getting involved um, in the nasty side of it. So, if they're going to abuse their former player. <laughs> Why shouldn't the former player celebrate against them uh, as well once once, once, once scoring? So, uh, well yeah, said, I don't know. Phil. Got, well said. You, you guys have had former teams and, have, have, you know, Bridget, you've scored against yeah. former teams and you've celebrated against former teams? Yes, I certainly have. That's why I'm saying well said. It was well, MLF Sunderland. He had to, right? He had to. Like, he had like 15 former teams, right? If he didn't <laughs> celebrate when he did score, he just would never have celebrated, right? <laughs> All right, I've had a lot of clubs. No, the big one, like I left Sunderland and went to Leeds United and it was the first game, or the first few games of the season, obviously I looked out for that one. It was at Elland Road, Leeds United against Sunderland and um, I was getting a lot of stick. The shouts were coming from the Sunderland fans, the Judas that you are and I was like, wow, this is, I've just, you know, I've gone to, gone to play European football but I'm getting the Judas shouts. I put the ball in the back of the net and I celebrated in front of the Sunderland fans and then I had egg on my face because the goal was penciled off for being offside. <laughs> so oh. so the, the worst thing was they all started laughing at us. Now I ran off doing the uh, doing the donkey ears as I would and just kept kept very quiet. So it was a it was a lesson that I learned um, and something that I will I regretted. But uh, I ate humble pie, so I learned from my mistakes. Yeah, it was. But it's it's like I looked at Wally Watkins. I'm thinking, yeah, he's done it because you you do want to. You, you don't want to score. You want to score against your former club, but you don't want to rub the salt in the wound to the fans. But when you're getting stick, man, it motivates you more. And then you think, you know what it is? Stuff you. If you're shouting Judas at me, I'm going to give it back to you. So, yeah, there you go. The thing about Ollie Watkins as well, it was very, very obvious he pointed to, to one or two yeah. people, right? Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. like he was rubbing in the faces of Brentford fans. He was rubbing in the faces of those one or two people. So I've got no problem with that whatsoever. Um, I actually, when I, I played the first game we played against Middlesbrough, uh, when I left, went to Fulham. I never celebrated. We beat them at home 3-0. Didn't celebrate once. We actually scored, I think, all three goals when I was at the end where the Middlesbrough away fans were. <laughs> so I didn't actually support, uh, didn't didn't celebrate at all. Um, I don't think I've ever done it, actually. Because I, I, I always just felt that, firstly, I just, it was, there's enough going on in a game to 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 encourage did, any extra abuse going on towards you. So were the did, Middlesbrough fans abusing you? Maybe once or twice yeah, every right. time I touch the ball. Swartzy, yeah, always, always found this fascinating. When the ball's at the other end of the field and you goalkeepers are bored and you're picking your nose and looking at your gloves or doing stretching and the game's going on <laughs> at the other end, that's when the supporters behind the goal can give you some jip. Did you ever have any like? Did you have any friendly banter with them uh, or were you always focused oh, yeah. on the game? No, 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 no. Yeah, you always – there was often friendly banter. I mean, there was some horrendous stuff said as well, like just, just outrage horrendous. Um, I had it at Everton once, and like he's about an 11- or 12-year-old kid coming running down to the side of the pitch and went, I hope your wife dies of AIDS. And I was just like, what? Like charming. What? Like he's like 11 or 12 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just – that was like welcome to English football. It was right at the beginning when I was first here in England. I, I couldn't believe it. I was actually I, – I was stumped. I just stopped. And I looked at one of the the the, um, the stewards, and I went, "Wow, they breed them well here, don't they?" Um, and uh, that was it. And I remember once at Stoke, ball went out, 
guy come running down. Actually, it was at half time. I went out a bit earlier and I was doing a bit of handling in the goal just before the, the second half was to begin. And I saw this guy out of the corner of my eye as the ball went went behind. I went to go collect it. He ran from the top of the stand all the way down and he was literally frothing at the mouth and yelling abuse at me. And like there was no one else in the stand doing it. And I, like, I looked, I stood there, just looked at him and went, <laughs> and I said again, one of the stewards, well, what is wrong with this guy? Did he just get let out for the game or something today? Well, what's wrong with him? So, yeah, I mean, you get that. And then other yeah. times, yeah, a bit well, of banter. And well, you were mentioning talking, the, talking about- the, the AIDS one there. It's not, it's not nice, obviously. I was, sitting in a, I was sitting in a bar with my mom and dad, and obviously I was at Sunderland Football Club. There was a song the Sunderland fans used to sing at Alan Shearer, and it wasn't very nice, but the Newcastle fans in this bar decided to flip it around and start singing it at me in the bar with my mom and dad when we're having a, having a meal. And it went, Michael Bridges is illegitimate. He has got no birth certificate. He's got AIDS and he can't get rid of it. Dirty red and white. Beep. And my mom was proper oh, upset no. going, she was proper upset. She went, what, 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 are they really singing that about you? I was like, yeah, mom, it's disgusting. I apologize. And uh, we, had, we literally had to get up and leave the, this place because I was mortified. But it was just how, how you can take so – I'm thick-skinned, but my mother got, took proper offense, man. Guys, this has taken like a dark turn, man. I didn't think it would go down. We're thick-skinned, though. Do you want to to get back to the positives? I've got a quick one for Swartzy because we'll get back to that game. Villa, last week you were talking, I was listening to you with Phil and Jules talking about Aston Villa being not title contenders. So what is going to swear you, mate? When are you going to get on the bandwagon? Come on, there's only one game on, right? I said it. I said it. it, it we, we talk about, you know, let, let's talk about when there's already 28, 29, 30 games being played. And let's see where Villa are right then. And then I'll say to you whether or not they're contenders or not. I, I just don't think, I don't know whether they've got the longevity in them. They've got the ability to maintain a push for that long with the current depth of squad, quality of depth, as it always is with the, with the, the teams that have been on the fringes for so many years, right? If you look at the, the depths of all the bigger teams, uh, the bigger teams, the, the the teams that have been year after year fighting for, for for titles. Look at Arsenal. Arsenal arguably had a bigger depth uh, in squad, but they struggled. They fell short in the end. So I, I think Villa just l- let them keep going. I want them to do well. I want them to be there towards the end of the season as well. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think they're there just yet. Let's just wait and see. Just like, a bit like um, Leicester. You know, they all come, said come. Leicester, they're going to fall away. They're going to fall away. Villa is not quite at that length, at that level at the moment, but I still think there's a lot, a lot, there's a lot to be played before then. There is, obviously. I think when we're talking about strength in depth, I'm just looking at a couple of weeks ago when Villa played Arsenal and they and they, and they won, and when we spoke about it on the on the pod. If you look at the look at the two benches from that game, and the get, the players that didn't start for for Villa, they got a really strong bench: um, Alex Moreno, Zaniolo, Lenglet, Diaby, Ramsey, Matty Cash. Uh, none of those players started uh, against against Arsenal, so I think it's a it's a it's it's a good squad. They've got a squad with like enough depth to. Okay, depends how seriously they're going to take Europe and the Conference League, and I think they've got a chance of doing something perhaps quite important in in that competition, but which yeah, is going to be hard, right? Depth. Which is going to be hard. Yeah. Thursday, Thursday to yeah. Sunday, Thursday to Sunday. That's the biggest challenge. And actually, we might see that with Liverpool as well, who are playing on, on, on Thursdays in their title challenge. Um, and not many teams have had to have a title challenge and play on Thursdays because usually they're playing in the Champions League. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Villa squad is good. I think there's, there's, there's strength in depth there. And we'll see what happens when they get injuries because um, inevitably they, they will come. But I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about my pre-season prediction of them getting top four or pushing for top four, which I seem to be mentioning every week. Uh, apologies for that. Mm. But, you know, um, yeah, I think they're looking good right all right look i'll hold my hand up come towards the end of the season with four or five games to go six games to go and, and they're there or thereabouts and i go phil you were right they they are title contenders <laughs> but that's a long way <laughs> off yet and i'm not going to admit that just yet now manchester city talking about title contenders who i still think are are still the team to beat. i know they're five points off top they're in a bit of a mini slump at the moment um they failed to win three home games in a row uh, first time since 2016 but look, we're talking about the bar being so, so high. So all these little, little things that they're kind of not quite there at, it's still impressive. Um, and I think when you look at, when you look at City, yeah, they're not firing. They're not firing on all cylinders. They've got some little injury issues. I think De Bruyne is a big one that they're missing. Um, and I think that's starting to show a little bit now as well. I mean, he's played what 20 odd minutes of football this season. 
Um, and then you take Haaland out of the mix. They've almost forgotten how to play with a false nine now. Um, so I don't know. I kind of feel like it'll come. But Bridgie, what do, what do you think's missing at the moment for them? I think you've nailed it. I think the the, the lack of intervention or people that can unlock the doors, De Bruyne being one of the main guys. And I think that there's a lot of teams have also understood or found a way that you can get Manchester City and put them off their, their game plan. Uh, I, the more you're playing against them, you're seeing other teams you adopt different tactics. We've seen a lot of teams do a, a low block and try to get them on the counter-attack. We've seen other teams like Aston Villa this season when they went, you know what it is? We're going to go toe-to-toe for you and we're going to give you a right go for your money, same as Liverpool. Um, and they've they found a way because Aston Villa, that performance against them was, I still am mesmerised by it. How I've, I've never seen City dominated like that in a game um, since I've watched them under Pep Guardiola. So teams are working out that you don't just have to play one way against City to get a result. Um, having said that, Crystal Palace did sports. You know, your man, your man Roy did sit back and just absolutely defend for their lives, but they found a way late on and they had a, they had a hunger and desire to hang on there. And City just seemed to, when their first goal, or the, the first Palace goal went in, you could just feel that you just saw City go, oh, hang on a minute. They kind of went on the back burner and and Palace, uh, fair play to them. So, yeah, it's a blip, but will Manchester City be there and about? Of course they will be because Pep Guardiola will have them switched on. They've got players. I mean, you know, Silva is still a, a standout for me. I'm saying they haven't got players that un- unlock doors. It's, that's, that's pretty harsh when you look at the lineup with Ford and Grealish. They have, but they are missing definitely impact players. And um, when you take Haaland out of the equation, I don't think Alvarez is the same player up top. He prefers playing alongside Haaland if they get a chance to link up. But he did so well at the World Cup, right, for Argentina. So, I, I, look, okay, I said De Bruyne. That's not the excuse, right? Because we, we talk about De Bruyne's been out all season. So I don't think that's the main reason. I just think there's too many players that are not on form right now, not at their best. Silva, um, Grealish, for example, Phil Foden, uh, Alvarez, they're not quite hitting their straps right now, and that's probably one of the issues. But in Europe, it's not an issue. In Europe, they're, they're six from six. They've topped their group. I mean, albeit, you know, RB Leipzig, Young Boys, Bound and Red Star, Belgrade, Phil. Is it a case in Europe, because of what they did last season, teams don't play against them week in, week out, that maybe they show them too much respect in Europe and then in Man City just run over them. And whereas in the Premier League, it's a bit like in, in with Barcelona right now. People don't have the respect for them anymore in the league. They're just going to go for them. They're going to go at them. Maybe. Um I think, you know, I'm not one uh, of those people. In fact, I get quite angry when people who watch the Premier League are quite arrogant about other leagues. Uh, so I'm not like that. However, looking at that Champions League group, uh, RB Leipzig, Young Boys and, and Red Star Belgrade, if they didn't finish top of that group, it yeah. would have been a extraordinarily big surprise. And actually six from six isn't that much of a surprise either. What is a surprise is that they're conceding goals like really quite regularly. They've got one clean sheet in 10. And I know John Stones wasn't fit enough to start this game, and, and he's a, you know, he's a really important key um, player um, to them. But they're not controlling games, and they're conceding like important goals late on. We saw it here. We saw it against Spurs. Saw it against Chelsea. Saw it against Arsenal. Um, Liverpool as well. I mean, it's it's it's. Uh, it feels like they, they they're not able to control games as they once were, and I don't know if that is a question of. A mental thing, hunger, desire. Um, they're a team that should press high up the pitch a lot to win back. So defend, obviously, Guardiola is very big on defending starts the first line high up the pitch. That's when you start defending. And maybe once you've won everything last season, that hunger, that desire, that passion to go out and press really high, really fast is, is gone. I, 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 I don't know, but it's clear that they're not defending and they're not controlling games as well as they did last season. Well, they're still going to be title contenders, there's no doubt about it. But Phil, you've just mentioned there, I'm going to take us somewhere else this weekend. You've just mentioned that City can't keep clean sheets and have struggled to. We've got to I've got to give a mention to Everton, by the way, because they have kept four clean sheets in their last four matches. And they've beat Forest, they've beat Newcastle, they've beat Chelsea, and they've beat Burnley. And that, that is after the 10-point deductions. I've got to say, Sean Dyche, another t- another contender to be Man City's next manager if um, because of the clean sheet mentality that he has. <laughs> Phil, I'm only up. We've got to give him a shout out though because I think what they have done to galvanise that football club with everything stacked against them is incredible. Um, so that, wow. that's a big one for them. Phil, this is a man who said when Sean Dyche was managing Burnley and if they were playing a game of football in his back garden, 
he would close the curtains. He wouldn't watch the game. <laughs> and now he's saying that Sean Dyche should be manager of Manchester City. Mad. Smarty, Absolutely stop madness. it, stop it. I did not say oh, that. No, that was tongue-in-cheek. I still you, don't you like what so. you put under Sean You just Dyche. said it. Phil heard you. It's recorded. It's going out on the podcast. And I just they add to that. They are playing Look, better football. Six clean sheets, you're right. Um, yeah. And so is Manchester United. But what does that mean then? Seriously, what does that mean? Look where well, they are. Here, well, here's one for you. I'll, I'll put this one to you, Swarty, then off, off the flip, off the back of that. Did you hear Ten Hag's comments about uh, the nil-nil with Liverpool, which was the worst game I think I've ever watched in history? Did you hear his comments after the game? If we'd have gone and attacked, were you happy with the result? Yes, I'm happy with the result because if we'd have gone and attacked, we could have got beat 4-0. You've got a manager of Manchester United saying that if they go to Old Trafford and try and attack and don't have this defensive unit, uh, to, that they could get beat 4-0. Uh, to Liverpool, you mean? To, to Anfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Danfi. Yeah, like, how, what what kind of message does that send out this moment in time? I well, I just think it's to show you where they are. Sorry, go, Phil. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's just a realistic message. You've got to be pragmatic. I know this is Manchester United Football Club, and we can't be. Well, yeah, sure, in theory, but in practice, they were coming off some unbelievably bad defeats. And imagine if they'd gone out and gotten bashed five, six, seven nil like last season. It would have been catastrophic for them for morale for Ten Hag himself so I understand what you're saying Bridget yeah it's like it feels strange to have a Manchester United manager saying that in theory in practice I fully understand and even maybe agree with him did you did you hear the uh, the interview afterwards with Virgil van Dijk talking about he, a little bit of a slight dig towards Manchester United and the way that they played and the way they came to Anfield just to try and hold on to a result um, Roy Keane wasn't particularly happy about it, thought that that was a sly dig, considering how much Manchester United have won over the years compared to, to Liverpool. But did you, did, you, did you see it? Did you agree with that? I agree with what he was saying about Van Dijk, yeah. But I can understand his, his anger that he's playing against Manchester United and how they've just come to nullify this game. Yeah, I never... I like Yes, they've got the result, but as a Manchester United fan, I, I'd be looking at that going... Are we really, really this bad at this moment in time that we have got to go there and play these tactics against one of our rivals? I'm probably the biggest rival. I'd be, I'd be absolutely devastated thinking that we had a manager that didn't believe that they could go and beat Liverpool, that the players were happy to go out there. So I can see the frustration from Van Dijk thinking why have they just come to nullify this game and and kill the game off because it was it was horrendous, but they got the results. So I, I can see yeah. it from both sides, but it's not good. It's not good if you're a Manchester you gotta, United player, man, wanting to play like that. It's like Phil Phil said before. You've got to put it in perspective of where they are right now, Manchester United. They're, they're not in great form. They're all over the place. They're hit or miss. You don't know what Manchester United team you're going to get each week. Um, and there is a potential of a proper drubbing if they go to Anfield and try and open up. So I totally understand that. And I think that is just a fact of where Manchester United are right now. And I think fans will... Yeah, of course there'll be people there annoyed and and ten, and, and almost ten hog, of where they are. Ten, ten hog, Swartz, he did that for ten hog, so he didn't get the sack. If they'd have got smashed, he was under the pump. He's done that for ten hog, not yeah, for the I Manchester United. That's part of management, pump. right? Part of management He's is protecting to manage his own his own self. Ask United fans if they're pleased with part that of result. management. Part of management is to manage the situation, right? So manage where you are right now, how your team is doing, where they are. In, and I think in going to a game against your rivals, thinking that you can't win—that's crap, mate. That, that's wrong. I, I think you've got to put it in perspective. I just don't think you can go there with the attitude of we're Manchester United and we're going to go to Anfield and get a result just because of our name alone. I, I, and, and the history, you've got to put it in perspective of where you are right now. It's and I think mentality. it was a logical approach. No, but I think it was a logical pr- approach at this moment in time for Ten Hag and Manchester United to go there and hopefully well, well, try I'm sorry. and obviously stay if solid, I'm, smash if I'm the owner of that football club and I've got somebody at my helm that doesn't believe that we can beat our rivals and go into a game like that, I do not want a weak-minded man at the helm of my football Are club. You- but you're not, and you know the owners of Manchester United only care about the, the bottom line. Hmm. Ask United fans if they're happy with that result. Oh, they'd well, be that, delighted. I, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think, yeah, I think it'll be quite split, actually. I think, actually, I think, really? I think more people would actually be happier with the result. between the result and the performance. If you ask them, are they happy with the performance, they'd say, no, if that be the result, oh, yeah, we came away. But they, oh, they were lucky because there was 30 odd chances created. Yeah. I thought they they defended quite resolutely. Yeah, I mean they had, but they they there was a bit of like there was effort there. There was throwing their bodies on the line. There was like giving 
something for United that I think fans want to see. And there's been too many games this season where United have just seemingly been apathetic and the team weren't. They are not as good a team as Liverpool. And we saw that in the way that Liverpool dominated. But the fact that they put some passion and some effort into it, you know, these basic things that every single uh, fan wants to see, I think a lot of United fans will be um, will be happy. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'd be interested to see, you know, if on social media everyone, anyone wants to tweet us if they're a United fan and let us know because um, I think a lot of United fans would be pleased with that. Well, that was me morning rant. That was off my chest. That was me morning rant off the chest. I've, I feel like I've just had a psychology session. I'm not even a Man United fan, but I was annoyed and angry. So there we go. I'm, I'm back to normal. Thank you. Uh, and just an update on Luton Town captain Tom Lockyer. After he collapsed in their game against Bournemouth on Saturday, the latest news from the club is that he remains stable in hospital and is undergoing tests. It goes without saying that everyone here at Optus Sports sends our best wishes to him and his family. The WSL title race has had another twist this weekend. Here's Narelle and Ash with all the details. Thanks, guys. Well, yeah, what a final round of football before the winter break we've had. A lot went down, Ash. There are a couple of firsts, like my Liverpool beating your Manchester United for the first time. We'll, we'll let you have one. Thank you. Just one. But the one that had a massive repercussion in terms of the table was the North London derby. Tottenham beating Arsenal for the first time ever. Arsenal, they had seven wins in a row leading into this. Yeah. Definitely an upset. What do you think went wrong for them? I don't really know. And it's a kind of shocking as well because they played each other in the League Cup midweek and had to go to penalties for Arsenal to win. Do you think that would have been like a warning, like we have to take this game seriously? They came into the weekend and they didn't really put their foot on the accelerator, I didn't think, compared to their game against Chelsea the weekend before. Like against Chelsea, they were absolutely flying, weren't they? And then they came out this week and didn't quite um, make it happen. I, I thought they maybe took Tottenham a little bit for granted, that result for granted, and they've paid, you know, the biggest sort of price. You can't drop too many points against Chelsea like this. No, because Chelsea certainly weren't going to drop points against Bristol when they didn't. It was a 3-0 win and they are now three points clear at the top of the table heading into the new year. And they'll be very hard to stop from there. They finally got their buffer back and they won't want to let it slip for a second time. No, and we saw this sort of happen last year where teams got a little bit of a sniff against Chelsea, but then they sort of came into the new year and hit their straps and were sort of no one could chase them down from there. And I kind of wonder whether the same thing's going to happen. Like Chelsea don't seem to drop points against these teams, against Bristol City or against Tottenham. The only games they might drop are against their title challenges, whereas Arsenal you know, have, have lost this game. They've lost one previously in this season. Um, it just seems like a long way back for them. But Chelsea, I mean, they looked like they were in cruise control, didn't they? Like, yeah, Sam Kerr on the score sheet again. Lauren James with the, actually all their goals. All their goals were, were good, weren't they? Yeah. Erin Cuthbert as well. And like Lauren James, like she, when she's cruising, when she's confident and happy, <laughs> she's, uh, she makes things look easy. And she hit the post as well with another great shot that like, it's just super impressive to watch her play and, you know, Chelsea, I think, will look dangerous in the new year again. How much of it does come down to, I guess, the individuals you've got in the team and when they stand up, they do make a difference? Yeah, it, it makes a big difference. And, you know, Chelsea seem to have those players, whether it's Sam standing up one week or whether it's Lauren standing up or Aaron Cuthbert or Frank Kirby, someone always stands up and, and makes a play. Whereas Arsenal, you know, I thought their most dangerous player the other day was Caitlin Ford. Although, you know, she had a, a lot of shots at goal that didn't quite come off, but they also had 31 shots at goal, only eight on target in their game. It just, you know, it, it was crying out for someone to, you know, take control and get that sort of one or two goals for them. And you've actually got to talk about Manchester City, their level on points with Arsenal now in second, but Chelsea, three points clear at the top, guys. Can you see anybody else challenging for the title? Do I see anyone else t challenging for the title? Well, I did say Arsenal. I do fancy Arsenal. No European football. Um, only the league really to concentrate on. I just do fancy. I know they had a horrendous result on the weekend. The performance was there in terms of dominance and, ch and, and attempts on goal. They just couldn't find the back of the net, which is really, really surprising considering this, the firepower that they have. Maybe it was just a, a blip. Chelsea have got Champions League football. That's not going particularly well either. I think there's still a few more... Uh, bumps in the road. I'm going to stick with Arsenal. I still think Arsenal are the ones to beat. I know Chelsea are three-pointed ahead. I'm just sounding stupid, aren't I, in my prediction? Anyway, 
Let's move on. La Liga this weekend. Barcelona draw again and Real Madrid win. Phil, what is going on in Barcelona? It, I mean, they're in a bit of a rut right now, including, you know, including the defeat to Real Madrid. They've lost two, drawn two, and won three. I mean, a lot of teams would go, ah, it's not too bad in the, in the league, right? We're talking about Barcelona, right? We're talking about Barcelona and we're also talking about the performances as well. So the uh, the results have actually been better than the uh, performances. There have been some really, really poor uh, performances. And last week they were completely outplayed at home uh, by uh, Girona. And we thought, OK, right, they need to um, they need to bounce back. And then they went to Antwerp in midweek in the in the Champions League. And there was all sorts of uh, controversy about the matchday squad because they released the matchday squad and Gundogan and Lewandowski and Araujo weren't in it. And then three hours later, they released another matchday squad with those three key players in it and um, uh, suggestions that the uh, president had had a quiet word with the uh, manager to, listen, we need to bounce back. These players need to play. Um, they went to Antwerp. They lost 3-2 to what had previously been the worst team in the Champions League. And then they go to Valencia this weekend and they draw 1-1. It's true that against Valencia, the performance wasn't um, that bad. Uh, they uh, had the game under control and then Valencia scored a wonder goal in the uh, in the 70th minute and um, uh, it finished it finished 1-1. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really, really bad um, run of form at the moment. Uh, they are seven points behind leaders Real Madrid, but hashtag always watch Girona are playing uh, this evening. So if they win, um, Barcelona will be eight points off top spot um, after 17 games. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really poor, really poor situation. And I think people are getting a little bit tired of um, Xavi's um, suggestions and his discourse that, you know, we're, we're actually playing quite well. It's just not happening for us. Uh, I thought we dominated the game. We could have won. We should have won. And um, suggestions that he doesn't have the institutional support that he, that he once enjoyed from the president. I think I said last week that they weren't going to sack him before the end of the season. I, I, I still, I, I stick by that, but he is being questioned uh, a lot and he doesn't seem to be able to get the best out of uh, this team. And Barcelona, they're pinning a lot of hopes on the arrival of a young Brazilian striker, uh, Victor Roque, who they uh, uh, signed in the summer and uh, they're bringing him in in January uh, now to give a bit of a rest to Robert Lewandowski, who's been playing every single game and not scoring as many goals as he should be. So, yeah, the Catalan press are saying, right, now we're getting Victor Roque in. He's coming in in January. Let's see if he can help. But really, um, to be pinning all your hopes on an unproven um, What was the price tag of him, Phil? What was his price tag? Uh, you've caught me on a hop here, but it, it wasn't cheap. Uh, it wasn't cheap. I think it was maybe around 20 million, something like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's, he's only 18 now. So they signed him, uh, when he was still, uh, when he was still very, very young. Um, but yeah, I, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but yeah, there was, there was yeah. enough, there was enough money to, um, <laughs> to, to, to bring him in. And that's the kind of signings that they have to make. Like they can't go out and bring in anyone else who's, you know, a 60, 70 million pound striker because they, they don't have that money. Don't have it. Yeah. But they dominated the game, right? They dominated the game for quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot, a lot of chances. Yeah, Mamadashvili yeah, yeah. in goal, the Georgian goalkeeper for, for Valencia was, was very, very good on the night. Um, they defended resolutely Valencia, but Hugo's goal. What a goal. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a terrific goal from a player who was starting his first um, his first league game uh, this season. So uh, it meant a lot to him. But uh, I think maybe of all the times that we've heard Xavi come out and say uh, in the last few weeks, we actually played really well and we could have won this game. But we should. This was actually the, the 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 match that you could most buy that argument because they were pretty dominant. They had the game pretty much under control, uh, and then uh, and then Hugo Guillemot scores that. So uh, yeah, but it's a results business. And just on the side, Valencia, you said at the start of the season, they're going to find it really tough, right, with the young players and everything else. But they're holding their own. They're doing all right, aren't they? They absolutely are doing all right and um, completely surpassing all expectations, not least mine. I think I may or may not have tipped them to be struggling uh, to avoid relegation just because you they've did. got the younger squad. I did, right? Yeah. Um, just because <laughs> they've got the younger squad uh, in La Liga. Thanks for that. And um, they're completely, you know, really uh, inexperienced. They didn't have any money to bring anyone in. Uh, and um, they're completely... Uh, listen... They're surpassing expectations. They've been helped by the fact that at the bottom of uh, the table, we've got Almeria and Granada who are on five and eight points respectively. Uh, so people who are trying to avoid or teams that are trying to avoid relegation are being helped. There. We've got two historically bad teams at the bottom of the table here, which <coughs> makes it easier for others. But yeah, shout out to Valencia who have uh, su surpassed my expectations at least. 
Can we can we talk about proper title contenders instead of Barcelona and teams like that? Can we talk about Real Madrid, please, lads? Eh? Because Bellingham scores yeah. yet again. My man, Bellingham scores again. And Phil, the assist from <sighs> Mr. Modric. Whoa! Wow, 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 wow. I mean, the, the performance from Bellingham is sensational. The performance yeah. from Modric is extraordinary. Yeah. He's 38, guys. He's 38 and he came in and he absolutely dominated this game. And it's against Villarreal. It's against a, a good team going through a difficult period, but they are a good team, uh, European pedigree. And Modric just ran the show yeah. in spectacular fashion. It wasn't just the assist. It wasn't just the goal that he scored. He had five or six passes that could have been other assists as well and, and, and they weren't finished off. He looked like a player who had something to prove, actually, and I think I think he might be. He's feeling like I'm 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 can still be useful here. I am still a first choice, first team Real Madrid player, and last night he showed it. Do you know what's mad? Before the game, I was just having a look. Uh, before the Madrid game, I was having a look on um, on the socials, and there was a lot of things trending. And one of the things that was trending was Zidane playing a pass to Modric when he did like uh, the old De Canio scissor kick and train him one time and it was obviously from the past and he puts it in the top corner and there's a fan being videoing it from the side of the pitch and I was just looking back at it it just got as absorbed in Modric's like history and, and goal and then I started checking on YouTube all his highlights real what a player and then just to see him in action again I, I agree with Phil the other night he was he was so on song and it's incredible to think what he's doing at his age we, okay. we, he's one of those players that I think that you don't 100% appreciate unless you're at the game and you just watch him. Yeah. You watch his movement. You watch his uh, willingness to always be on the ball, available. Just his little drop of the shoulders, little turns. He's like, he's phenomenal. We watched it, didn't we, in El Clasico, Phil, when he came on. He was, he was, uh, he was huge for them when he came on. And, and just the little spaces have, and the way that he was able to control that. Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've actually witnessed he wasn't it bad. in the flesh. Yeah, I was about to say. He's all right. Did, did he score? He's all right. Did he score? <laughs> no, I couldn't have. I don't think so. Not many people scored against me, mate. So well, I don't think 40, so. I scored against anyway. you. So if I can score against you, anybody can. <laughs> I don't remember that one, mate. But I, like I said, I don't think many scored against me. Up. Let's just move right I'll on. send you um, the link. Uh, so yeah. sorry, sorry. That means Michael Bridges is better than Luka Modric, right? Yeah. Michael Bridges could score against. Well, he says he did. I don't know if he did. I think that's only hearsay, Phil. We can't really go on anything other than his his uh, his word for it. Phil, the only thing the you can compare yeah. me in the same sentence as Luka Modric is, I would clean his boots and do his laces. That is his, <laughs> that is the only relevance that comes into it, mate. I'm nowhere near. He's a class. Honestly, actor. guys. Honestly. He's one of the best footballers that we've had yeah. in recent years. Genuinely one of the best footballers of the 21st century. And he's absolutely got everything. And last night, what I love to see about him is his pressing at 38 years of age. He's yeah. coming into this side. He's not thinking, oh, I'm a European champion five times. I'm Luka Modric, Ballon d'Or. He was pressing, harrying and making life so difficult for Villarreal, as well as praying all the passes. Like physically, he's in tremendous shape. And I absolutely love watching him and give him a, give him a contract for one more year, one more year Real Madrid because we well, need more. Well, he has to be, he has to be in great shape, doesn't he? To still be at that level and to be able to play at that level like he has. Like you're right. The pressing overall for Real Madrid was exceptional, yes. let alone from, from Modric. Um, I want to mention Briam Diaz. He scored a, a pretty special goal yesterday. I mean, it was like a, almost like a solo goal, been a number of players, slotted away really well. So, and the game had a pretty much everything, didn't it? I mean, as well as Bridgie getting excited with uh, Bellingham and you, Phil, as well. I saw you get excited when Bridgie was talking about him. And actually, you were probably a little bit miffed that Bridgie took your limelight on that one. Uh, I'm not. Whoever wants to talk about Jude Bellingham, he's everyone. He's not just he's not just Bridgie's man. He's everyone's man because everybody loves Jude. And the whole Bernabeu was singing Hey Jude last night. And believe me, I used to work at Real Madrid TV and I know it is difficult. They are the most demanding fans in the world. It took them years to sing Cristiano Ronaldo's name. And Jude Bellingham's come in and in a couple of months, he's got the whole stadium singing his name. So that just gives you an idea of, of what he's achieving here. Brian is a player that's come in and he's taken his chance with Vinicius being out injured and he's scoring goals and looking really, really dangerous as well. There are a number of players that have um, uh, come in and, and taken their chances in this team. A quick mention for David Alaba, who got a cruciate ligament injury. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. And Ancelotti could not believe it after the game. He said, this is the third cruciate ligament uh, injury that we've suffered this season because Courtois and Militao are both out. Mm. And he said, this has never happened. And I don't know, you know, you guys, three cruciate ligament injuries in the same season for one team is completely unheard of. So Real Madrid have got a problem there. They've got to try and figure it out, whether they bring someone back from loan or go out into the transfer market in January because they've only got two fit centre-backs in the squad. Absolutely. Diego Alonso, finally, 
Do you reckon he was happy in the end that the the axe fell? I mean, it didn't go to plan, did it? No wins in eight games, five draws, three losses, conceded twelve goals. What? I mean, firstly, it was a disaster appointment in the end. And where do Seville go from here? So listen, yeah, um, it, it ended in like spectacularly bad fashion being beaten 3-0 at home by Getafe uh, this weekend for uh, Sevilla, having gone out of Europe in midweek. Um, 11 matches across Champions League and, and, and La Liga without winning any of them. Those are historically bad numbers. It's basically the worst manager in Sevilla's history uh, during his short time. It was a... Um, it was a decision made by Victor Orta, the uh, the sporting director who uh, came in this summer and he was like, you know, this is the guy that I want to replace Mendy Libar with. It hasn't worked out well. Um, obviously, Bridgie will be familiar with the work done by Victor Orta at, at, at Leeds uh, in, his, uh, in his previous role. But he's got a big job on his hands now uh, because Sevilla are in all sorts of trouble. They're in a relegation battle, again, as they were last season. It's Groundhog Day uh, at Sevilla because institutionally they're in all sorts of problems. Um and this time they're in worse. They're in a worse position than they were last season. They're in a worse position. So watch out because uh, it feels like they could be um, could, still in this relegation battle in in a few in could, a few months. Could to we come. see a player manager here in Ramos? <laughs> not officially, <laughs> not officially. But I think, like uh, you know, in practice, uh, he yeah. is going to be one of the players who is um, sort of well, trying to lead this this club out of out of trouble. Well, I do know Victor, Orton, he, um, and I do he, know that he's very—he's he, very animated. I've seen him at his time at Leeds United. I mean, some of the some of the signings that they made at Leeds United under Victor were were tremendous. But I think the decision, some of the decision makings at the end uh, regarding the manager situation when they uh, when they got obviously Leeds United left the Premier League, went through four managers in the space of nearly three months, um, and obviously it, it didn't survive. So you know, he's got to be got to, he's got to be careful that he learns from his mistakes. Um, he's pulled the pin early with his new new appointment over there, and like you say, he's a passionate man. He what he, what he did for Leeds United under under Bielsa, he, he got his man um, when they win the championship. To that's who he was after. He had a plan to get him, and they did that. And unfortunately, after Bielsa, they didn't have a plan to go forward. So he, he he's got an idea. He's a, he's a very calculated man, is Victor Orta. But like you say, the job at hand is absolutely huge. And when when I look at the squad, Phil Lamella, Rakitic, Ramos, and players like that, you know, they, they have got a lot of experience there. Um, so that you know, I, I think they'll Maybe be able to handle much, the situation. And that was the only thing I was going to say. I think they've got the experience, but I don't think they've got the legs if they want to compete with some of these running battles. And I think it's the energy levels. Mm. They're going to have to find something to survive. It is. It's a two-way sword, isn't it, experience? Yeah. Because you've got all these players um, who are experienced, but not necessarily experienced in relegation battles, A. And B, the new manager who comes in is going to have a, a, a dressing room with people who have won the, the, the Premier League, the Champions League, La Liga, really experienced players. So I think they didn't necessarily buy into Diego Alonso, this Uruguayan coach who came in and had never managed in, in Europe before. To win over the dressing room, it needs a big uh, figure who can handle yeah. these experienced players. So uh, yeah, the next appointment's going to be massive for them. Like it's called Any Eagles, ideas, not experienced players. It's called Handle It Eagles, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Any Eagles, idea who that next appointment might be, Phil? Um, suggestions that it could be Kike Sanchez Flores, um, somebody who we know from his time in England. Um, also, plenty of experience in uh, in Spain as well. So uh, we'll see whether or not. But he seems to be the front runner at the moment. And uh, Girona play tonight. They've got Alaves. We expect a formality almost, right? They're playing at home, Girona. The form they're in. Yeah, Come on. See- this is this is interesting because this is when we see Girona's title credentials. So they're behind Real Madrid now. Real Madrid won. And this is a game that they're expected to win. They're against a struggling side. If you are a team that goes on and wins the title, these are the games that you, you have to go and win. So Girona, they're playing today. They're playing on Thursday as well. We've got a midweek fi- fixture list uh, in La Liga just before the Christmas break. So yeah, I'm really intrigued to see whether or not Girona can, um, can, can, can recover a top spot. The pressure is on them now. And this is something that they wouldn't necessarily have experienced ever before but there's expectations now every, I know not least me telling everybody to go and watch Girona every week you know I've built them up Hashtag, there is this please watch Girona as now coming and trending from my phone Phil after I've jumped on the bandwagon absolute joy to watch Come on. I'm pleased with your info room. mate please with your info I save your seat Bridgie I save your seat right here so, next so, to me so tell me Phil how will you be watching the game tonight will you go, actually go to the stadium and watch it uh, Girona is 800 kilometres away from my house, so I probably won't. But um, <laughs> oh, so, you know, right, was... Okay, so that, that's a little bit out of your reach, is it? I mean, down the road was 
out of your reach. I was just wondering, maybe you made exceptions or something. I don't know. Uh, no, mate. No, no. I watch it on the telly, but yeah, should be good. And your son, will he watch? Uh, everyone watch Girona as well. Will, will your son be watching it with you, or is it too late? Bit late for him. Bit late for him. But we'll wake up early on Tuesday and uh, and and watch the watch the highlights as we did this morning with every single La Liga game from Sunday and Premier League matches as well. So yeah, uh, I'm also gonna, I just prepare for this podcast with him. So you know, it's good. absolutely. Um, I mean, if, look, if you struggle to make it on time next time, maybe your son can take over because I probably would think we'd possibly get quite good answers from him better than normal. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> wow. Whoa, Phil, where's he pulled that from? That that is, it's this is getting close to Christmas, lads. You're meant to be a little bit more um, happy. Oh, my neck, Swartzy. You're turning the bloody Grinch. Um, producer Elliot has just sent me something on WhatsApp, which on. he says you should you should read this out before the end of the podcast. It Go is a then. picture of quite a young looking Mark Schwartzer, very very handsome, in in goal for Fulham. And there is a certain Luka Modric celebrating. And the caption is, tangled up. Luka Modric celebrates as Mark Schwarzer finds himself and the ball in the back of the net. I knew he scored against you, Schwarzer. I knew he did. No, he assisted. It must have been an assist. It couldn't have been a goal from Luka Modric. <laughs> tangled up. <laughs> um, I also just quickly before we go. Like... You've got him tongue tangled. He doesn't know where to go now. <laughs> I, look, I was pretty sure he scored against me. I just wasn't going to give in to it. Um, <laughs> before we go, Phil, I just want to know, I'm a bit confused. Why are you wearing a Real Oviedo top rather than, you know, you're a Real Vallecano fan. I am, but I'm also a, a Real Oviedo uh, shareholder uh, because uh, a few Why? years ago, the club were in, well, a few years ago, the club were in uh, serious financial difficulties and uh, a very good friend and colleague of mine, Sid Lowe, who is an Oviedo uh, fan, sort of uh, emotionally blackmailed me into buying some shares. So uh, I did it. Many hundreds of people, in fact, thousands of people around the world also did it as well. So a lot of people around the world now own a small piece of uh, Real Oviedo. Uh, the club was saved from bankruptcy and they're uh, sort of treading water in mid-table in the in the second division. So uh, there we go. Applauded to you, my well friend, done to you, mate. and all the others. Like yes, that. Thanks. Thanks. You know, well, you know, just don't, I mean, you know, some people say it's heroic. I don't, I don't want to say I'm a hero. Do, would I you like, Phil, would you like own, to sell your shares? Team, team I'm ha- I would be happy to buy the shares off you if you want to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk uh, after. No, I would never sell them because right. it's a part of my heart now as well. So yeah. yeah I nearly got you there. I nearly. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. I think that's all we've got time for, guys. Um, thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Remember, you can watch every game of La Liga and the Premier League across the festive period live and exclusive on Optus Sport. All three of us will be back next for our Christmas special, a review of the year. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.